And welcome to Killer Hangover. This is episode eight. Yes, and we are covering the good old state of Oregon. Yes. Yes, we are. We are starting this recording tonight at 11.22 in the evening, Mom. Oh, good Lord. (laughs) We had some... I refuse to look at the time. (laughs) ...technical difficulties, and with our technical difficulties our last resort because we could not fix it ourselves we could not figure out what was going on so i reached out to amazon where i purchased this item and a good old shout out to brindle thank you thank you thank you thank you absolutely awesome service so patient with us and brindle's even subscribing mom oh excellent not only good service but also a new subscriber yeah (laughs) Thanks to Brindle, as well as all you subscribers. We appreciate you. Good thing you drank that (laughs) cup of coffee. (laughs) Yep, I'm up and ready to go. (laughs) Got toddlers that are going to get up in about five hours, but hey. Oh boy, oh boy, (laughs) That's life. (laughs) The life of a podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) Woe is me. So. I need a drink. Yes. What did you bring us to drink? (laughs) We're going to have some wine. Let me pour it. Some wine from Oregon. Okay, this is a lovely Pinot Noir. Ooh, okay. It is, the name of it is Averain, and it's from the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Okay. And it has a beautiful label, actually. No, it's really pretty. 2017, so hey, let's taste it. Okay, we shall. It's light. That's really nice. It's like a light-bodied wine but it has a lot going on and oh it does no i really i actually really like this a lot i'm tasting hints of strawberry and yet also oaky you're the wino i just (laughs) i just enjoy red wine the way she just looked at me (laughs) say what red wine i'm all for it Mm. (laughs) no it's very good though it's very good yep all right super i picked a good one then No, this is excellent. Okay, so I have the true crime story today, and this story is definitely deserving of a drink. So go grab a drink while you're listening. Maybe some strawberry red wine. (laughs) It is not strawberry red (laughs) wine. (laughs) Hint of strawberry, darling. Anyway, so go grab a drink unless you're on your way to work. So I know a few of our listeners listen to this on the way to work, so uh, just take a good gulp of that coffee. <laughs> this is a story that seems to just keep going and going with more drama, so buckle up. You should buckle up in the car anyway, but, you know, buckle up. <laughs> you should be buckled up. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about a murderer here that may be a little tough to listen to. Not that other episodes are easy to listen to by any means, but the story I'm sharing with you today is a rough one to share, especially with me being a mama to some toddlers. The idea of a mother killing her children is a very tough pill to swallow. Oh, no. I don't know many women out there that have become mothers who don't put their children first. Now, it's not saying there aren't some out there, unfortunately. Mom, you, and those listening, we hear these true crime stories of abuse and neglect. Very sad thing. So before 
There was the infamous stories of Andrea Yates, Susan Eubanks, or even Casey Anthony. Okay. There was the sociopath known as Diane Downs. I'm going to start this tragic tale from the beginning, so let me introduce you to this wonderful woman. Elizabeth Diane Fredrickson was born August 7th, 1955 in Phoenix, Arizona. She was the oldest of four children. She grew up in a pretty conservative home. She started to get a little rebellious in her early teens. Okay, but who doesn't? You know, cutting her hair short and starting to go by her middle name, Diane. Real rebellious. Oh, okay, that (laughs) rebellious, okay. So at the age of 16, she starts dating a fella, Steve Downs. After graduating high school, Steve and Diane decided they wanted to stay together, even though Steve was heading out for the Navy and Diane was headed to Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College in Orange, California. Oh. While in college, Diane really thrives. Finish that statement like a fortune cookie. Huh? Yeah, you're looking at me blind. Maybe that's my generation. (laughs) When you open a fortune cookie, you read what's on the fortune cookie and you end it with in bed. Yeah. So... In college, Diane really thrived. In bed? Yes. That's where you were going with that. So much so <laughs> that she actually got kicked out of college after one year for promiscuous behavior. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's it, a was a yes, it was a Baptist. It was a Baptist school. Okay, got it. Yeah, exactly. She returns back to her parents' house in Arizona and starts work with the United States Postal Service. Her father was the local postmaster. So. And they were real proud of her. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> In 1973, Diane and Steve, at the ripe old age of 18, decide to get married. Now, this wasn't some glorious marriage. They were actu- Diane actually was back and forth between Steve and her house and her parents' house. She was just kind of, you know, fought with them, fought with him, like just kind of back yeah, and forth. Did he know why she was getting thrown out of college? So, from my research, he was kind of rebellious in high school, but... I'm sorry to say this, but he was kind of a pushover with when it came to Diane. Oh. He was just, there was just a lot. I mean, I'll get into some of it. I'm not going to go into all of it, but there was a lot of just stuff that happened, and he just always Let just it go. kept coming back to Diane. So, of course, they're married now, and Diane wants a baby because that fixes everything. Steve doesn't want children. I mean, he's 18 at this time. He's 18. He's worried about work and making money and and trying to make ends meet. He's not financially stable enough for a baby, and he knows this. I mean, they're 18. So Diane does what any woman would do, throws out her birth control. Uh, She trapped him. And in 1974, Christy Ann was born. Diane loved being pregnant. She loved the attention. Attention, right. Again, she wants to have another baby. And so a year later, Cheryl Lynn is born just a year later yes so christy was born 1974 and cheryl lynn was born in 1975 now cheryl was really colicky Mm. and in a bunch of interviews it was actually really sad uh diane would even go as far as calling her the ugly baby she really really did not care for cheryl so steve gets a vasectomy and he actually didn't follow through. I guess they ask that 10 days after the procedure, the man goes back in to check the sperm count, and he didn't oh, go to this appointment. Oh, no. Steve. So Diane gets pregnant again. Steve, Steve, Steve. Now, I don't know if it's because Steve made her or because something happened and she realized financially. I mean, I don't know why, but Diane did end up getting an abortion with this baby. 
And she would regret this for years and years and years and years and years. I mean, she really hated that she got this abortion. So she kept, so she started saying she really wanted another baby. And she just begged and begged and begged Steve for another baby. And he went and got another vasectomy, this time making sure it stuck. So she threatened him, well, I'm just going to go get pregnant by somebody else. And she did. Oh, my gosh. 1979, Stephen Daniel, known as Danny, was born. And even though Danny was not his biological child, Steve... Man, I mean, this guy is really something. Yeah. He definitely put up with a lot. So, between infidelity claims and fighting, and I'm not necessarily sure Steve was exactly innocent when it comes to the infidelities. He never claimed up to it or denied to it in right, some of the interviews right. I saw, but it kind of looks like it was going both ways. The marriage just... Wasn't, wasn't extremely loving. No. <laughs> and in 1980, they did get divorced. So that's a year after the baby was born? A year after Danny was okay. born. Mm-hmm. Diane worked around the area as a post as a postal carrier. Because oh, yeah, her right. dad she was, was still, still doing the, that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she actually also worked as an electrician for a mobile home community. She was very smart. Oh, my goodness. Very smart. She had some relationships here and there. But Diane was different. She was different at home, away from her children, and flirty, and, you know, attractive, and outgoing. But she just had all these different personas at different situations. So at work, she was different. At home, she was different. And it was just once they got a little too close to her, they realized, oh, she's a little off. There's something a little off about her. But she was kind of in and out of relationships here or there. Her biggest relationship at the time was with Robert Knickerbocker. So he left his wife. He was married. And he left his wife and was living in an apartment. And she was pretty heavy on him. She would just, like, stalk him at his apartment. And he didn't exactly push her away. Okay. Uh, But it was a hot and heavy romance for a while. She was actually going to be moving to Oregon for a job. And... I don't know the conversation that went on between them. I don't know what went on behind closed doors. But in her mind, she really believed he was coming. He was going to follow her out to Oregon. Oh, wow. So I don't know, though. I don't know if he led her on to believe that. Sure, yeah. Or if this is just something that she made up in her mind. Diane moves to Oregon to work as a mail carrier in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Doesn't that name sound just like peaceful? (laughs) Cottage Grove. That's what you said, Nora. Oh, gosh. One dog just farted. Oh, we are in a small room with three dogs. And that I told you to open the door. <laughs> vicious smell. Oh, boy. Okay. Whew. So. Gotta love them. <laughs> in 82, Diane actually made some money also, about $10,000, being a surrogate mother. Oh, good grief. Now, she does like being pregnant. She does. But not so much being the mom part. So I wish she would have just been a surrogate from the beginning. That's just, that's just my opinion. You all probably guessed it. Robert did not follow her to Oregon. And one of his biggest reasons and one of their discussions is he didn't want kids. He and just, she's got three of and them. she's got three of them. So on a Thursday evening, May 19th, 1983, after visiting with a friend, it's around 9.30 at night. And Diane decides to go sightseeing and with her three babies in the car, three toddlers in the car. At 9.30 at night. Yeah. Thursday night. Yeah. I mean, come on. Doesn't everybody do that? So she's driving down this back road 
And this bushy-haired man jumps out and flags her down. So she stops the car, and he reaches into the back seat and shoots the three sleeping children, then shoots Diane in the arm. Wait, supposedly. Now, on this evening, May 19th, Diane comes running into the hospital, a towel wrapped around her arm, saying that her children had been shot. Poor seven-year-old Cheryl was deceased upon arrival. Christy and Danny, covered in blood, clinging to life, are rushed into surgery right away for their injuries. Three-year-old Danny is left paralyzed from the chest down. Oh, God. Yes. And eight-year-old Christy suffers a terrible stroke and severe blood loss. The surgeon that worked on Christy came out to tell Diane about the procedure. And Diane, let's just say, wasn't the traditional grieving mother you would expect. He reported her to be very unemotional, not even shedding a tear. Now, everybody reacts to to trauma and situations differently. Right. We we know we all understand that. I would be a puddle. Well, I pray that neither you or I or any of our listeners have to go through that. Ever. Ever. So I'm just going to throw this note out there. The nurses took note that whenever Diane went in to talk to Christy, Christy's vitals would just go crazy and they would spike. Oh, shoot. And Diane gave her statement. She had taken her children to a friend's house, and it started to get late, so they headed home. They wanted to do some sightseeing. They enjoyed driving the back deserted country roads. They were driving, and the kids started getting tired, so they fell asleep, while Duran Duran's song, Hungry Like the Wolf, plays. Diane sees a road she had not gone down before, so she takes it. Then, out steps a bushy-haired man who's flagging her down. She stops the car and asks him what he wants. He responds, I want your car. She replies, you've got to be kidding me. At which time he pushes her aside, reaches into the car, and shoots at the three sleeping children, then turns to her. Downs claims she fake throws her car keys into the field, pushes the man so that he dis- she distracts him, Right. pushes the man out of the way, jumps in the car, and, quote, drove like a lunatic to the hospital. Oh. Wait, the car keys, she threw the car keys. She fake threw the car keys. Man, you fell for it, too. She fake threw the car keys with a bushy-haired man out at 9.30 at night on a deserted road, just waiting (laughs) that Mm -hmm. the car might just come by. (laughs) She said that during the struggle with the man, that's when he fired two shots at her and one bullet hits her in the arm before she could drive away. So what do you think about this statement? You've given some <laughs> feedback. But what do you think about I this think statement? It's bogus. So the first thing I think of when I hear this statement is the keys. So a bushy man, okay, say say somebody's flagging you down the middle of the road. First of all, it's nine thirty at night on an abandoned road. I am so I'm sorry to anybody there, but if I have my babies in the car, I am not stopping. Of course you're not. Second, say you do stop. Say you are a saint and you decide you're gonna stop for this person. Why the hell would you take the keys out of the ignition and step aside for and, him and, to and get like, if anything, if anything, you would roll your window down. Right. And say, what can I do for oh, you? Yeah. Are you OK? No, she decides to stop her car and take the keys out of the ignition. Doesn't make any sense. No, the whole story doesn't make sense. Sightseeing, Sightseeing on a school at night at 930 at night. Okay, so again, say you're a saint and you pull the keys out of your ignition and you're standing there and all of a sudden this man pulls a gun out. 
I would do everything in my power and become a lioness and just attack this person if I see a gun. There's obviously time between him pulling his gun out, leaning in, and firing at children, right? Oh, yeah. He had to get into the car to do that. It just doesn't... There's time where I would just attack him. It just doesn't make sense. And wouldn't she be more of a threat? Yeah. I mean, he would shoot her first. Exactly. Oh, you're not giving me your car? There's sleeping children in the car, but let me shoot them. Oh, wait, just a minute. You just got out of your car. This is easy. I'm going to shoot you, grab your keys, and go. I mean, she's the only obstacle in the way. If that's really what he wants is a car, she's the only thing standing in the way. She's a terrible (laughs) storyteller. So the bullet wound on her arm is from the inside of the arm out. That's another thing to mention. okay, yeah. And this is what made me really mad. I thought you said this lady's smart. She was. I think she's just really manipulative. But so this is what made me really mad. She showed up to the homestead hotel. She showed up to the hospital with her arm wrapped in a towel. And her children are just crying and bleeding out from the back seat. No first aid was ever given to them. But she can wrap her arm in a towel. I just, I mean, the whole thing angers me. But that was just, anyway. So they start investigating. So the first thing they look at is, you know, there's no suspects. There's no weapon. Just no her bushy-haired story. bushy-haired man. There's just her story to go on at this point. So the Springfield area of Oregon is, is terrified. There's a manhunt for this, quote, bushy-haired man. This child killer is out on the streets, so they're, they're really scared. So besides the casings on the scene of the crime, they canvassed every home nearby. Divers looked in the area for the weapon. All they could do is really release the composite of this bushy-haired man and put them all on alert. Even though she was not a suspect at first, police obviously see holes in Diane's story just like we do. Please. So to better understand her statement, they ask that she films a reenactment. So she films this reenactment seven days, just seven days after this attack. And Diane loves this. So she's a movie star now. I really want to show you this so that you can give some really good feedback. Okay. First of all, she doesn't look like I pictured her, so I'm happy you showed me that. Um, So this woman is reenacting this. She's got this cute little top on. First of all, she's in the background primping as the uh, investigator is talking. So you can see her in their car primping. In the car mirror, yeah. And then... She pops out, and then I did this, and I pushed him away like this. She's all <laughs> giddy and giggling. She's and laughing, and she's having a good time oh doing yeah. this. And then she sits in the car, and as she's sitting in the car, she hits her arm, and she goes, oh, my gosh, that hurt. That that almost hurt worse than – and then she stops, and she, and stops she just herself. giggles, and then she, like, keeps going. And then No, the, the whole thing is so frustrating because – She's, this is seven days after her babies were shot. She doesn't, she knows one of them is dead. She doesn't know the outcome of the other two. And it's, it's, it's like nothing. It, it's like, gosh, I don't even know what it's like. No. So, but if anything, I would assume that that put the investigators on a, put her on the suspect list. Exactly. So 
you mentioned that she's, she hits her cast on the steering wheel and she says, oh my God, this is worse than, and she stops herself. So you're exactly right. Police leaned a little closer and they said that's, she was probably going to finish that statement with worse than when I shot myself. It's very clear. I mean, you said it out loud as soon as you were watching it. (laughs) So she becomes a suspect. Amen. This is also around the time that Diane gets dressed up time after time to be in front of the camera. She's telling her story to any camera that'll get in front of her. She's loving it. Is she? Does she shed any even alligator tears? Does she? <laughs> so funny you said that. So one of her quotes is in one of her majillion interviews. You can find all of her interviews on YouTube. They're all there. She says, why would I have taken my kids to the hospital? Wouldn't I have made sure they were dead and then cried crocodile tears? Huh? That's insane to think I would do such a thing and then bring the witnesses in against myself. That's crazy. She thought they were dead. No, Danny was crying the whole way there, and she does does mention that. She heard the babies. Yeah, but he was three years old. What's he going to say? Right. She heard them crying in the back. She said she talked to Christy. One of the interviews mentions how she turns and she talks to Christy and tells Christy to kind of like sit up or turn on her side so she doesn't choke on the blood coming out of her mouth. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm just like sick right now. It's it's so upsetting. So the police start the investigation into Diane and they find a diary. In it is letters to and pages written about Robert Knickerbocker, that past boyfriend. And it's their whole romance written in this diary and boom, there's the motive. Uh, He didn't want kids. He didn't want kids. I'll get mine out of the way. So now the weapon. The casings at the scene showed to belong to a twenty-two caliber handgun. Dan claimed she didn't have such a weapon, even though Steve Downs, as well as Knickerbocker, both said that she did. Oh. On searching her home, police didn't find a handgun, but they did find a rifle. Upon inspecting the rifle, they found unique extraction marks. I don't know exactly how guns work, but there was extraction marks on the cartridges in the rifle. And these unique marks matched the shell casings at the crime scene. I don't know exactly what that means. I just... just (laughs) Okay. Okay, so this may be a little hard for you to hear. So if you want to fast forward a little bit, I understand. It was really hard for me to read about, but... Another thing that they looked at was the blood splatter on the outs. There, they found blood splatter on the outside of the passenger door on the outside. Okay. So she had said that this person had leaned in to the car through the front seat, you know, to to shoot right, at these right. three children. But it actually seems that Cheryl had fallen out of the vehicle. She tried to get out. She tried to get out of the vehicle. And the blood splatter shows that she potentially tried to get out, and the shooter shot her as she tried to crawl away. This, I mean, the child got out of the car, and so oh. Cheryl was shot and got out somehow and was crawling away. And the perpetrator, whoever, Diane, really went the extra mile, and it's it's terrible. It's absolutely oh, terrible. God forgive me. I hate this woman right now. So now it's time for Diane to be questioned even further. And her story keeps changing. Of course. 
So now from the bushy-haired man, it's becoming two men in ski masks, and one of them even knew her name. Oh, this is really changing. This isn't just a little bit of detail. And they have this interview on this the episode of 2020 I watched called My Mother Sins, and it covers the whole case from beginning to end. It's incredible. Very well done. But they have this interview in there, and the interviewer is like, your story stinks. And she says, then you better get some deodorant. <laughs> and it ends up being a two-hour interview. Wow. She gets pretty aggressive in the end, and she storms out. And she's like, I know who it is. Bye. Just like that. Mm-hmm. And just leaves. Yeah, we know who it is, too. So Danny and Christy are still in the hospital. The state refuses to let Diane see them and has taken them oh, out of her so custody. Oh, good. So she can't even see him now. Good. Danny remains and will forever be paralyzed from the chest down. And Christy has managed a bit since her stroke, but it's not talking. So she is seeing a therapist. Now, this therapist does this thing with her that she comes in every day that she comes into a therapy session. The therapist would ask her, Christy, who shot you? And so the therapist had her write down who shot her on a piece of paper. And then Christy would fold it up and throw it into the fire. And she did this day after day after day she'd come in who shot you she'd write it down therapist did not see she'd fold it up and until she was ready to hand that note over to the therapist day after day fold it up in the fire fold it up in the fire wow until one day she folds it up and she slides it over to the therapist and the paper says my mom Ugh. nine months after the terrible night on that deserted Oregon back road, Diane Downs is arrested. May 10th, 1984, the trial begins. But what does America notice as this child killer is being escorted into the courtroom? Not that she's smiling and waving to cameras and is dressed up and all fancy, but this woman is very heavily pregnant. What? Diane was out for nine months before this arrest. Besides her ever so many interviews she was giving, she was also still working as a mail carrier. And one night, she shows up to a house belonging to a man on her route. She picked him out. She shows up with marijuana and a bottle of whiskey. And knowing her cycle, as we've learned from her previous, planned and got pregnant that night. Oh my gosh. Quote, I got pregnant because I miss Christy and I miss Danny and I miss Cheryl so much. I'm never going to see Cheryl on earth again, and I just, you can't replace children, but you can replace the effect they give you, and they give me love, they give me satisfaction, they give me stability, they give me a reason to live and a reason to be happy, and that's gone, they took it from me, but children are so easy to conceive. Oh, God. So, I mean, she obviously gets pregnant to be loved by this child, but it it sounds like she's she should just get a dog because that's she's describing. I mean, that's what she needs. Get she a dog. Just get a dog. This is just another manipulative strategy to gain sympathy from the jury. I mean, she's a she's being tried for a child killer, but she's sitting there glowing pregnant. It's just so hard to wrap your mind around. And did I get you right? She was waving as oh, she entered. She had her. She was cuffed, but she's just yeah. She's waving and smiling, and so the trial begins. One sick, sick, sick 
part of this trial is they play Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf because it was part of the case because they were trying to nail down the exact time of everything. She had said that that song was playing, so they talked to the right, radio station, right. so they knew exactly what time that song was on. Da, 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 da. So they're playing it during the trial, and while the song is playing, Diana's sitting there, rubbing her tummy, tapping her foot, bobbing her head. This is the song her children, one child died to, she was getting attacked to, and she's bobbing her head. Just absolutely no... No connection. None at all. The trial lasted six weeks. In court, they cover her motive, the blood splatter analysis, the fact that there was no gunpowder residue where it should have been if what she said was true. Basically, the whole fact, there was no clues to supporting her case, she was claiming. And they even had two witness statements. Do you remember her quote, how she said, quote, she drove like a lunatic to the hospital? Well, police got a witness that states he saw this red car which was diane's car on the back roads that night and he actually got stuck behind her for a while because she was driving so slowly driving so slowly that the speedometer wasn't even registering take a moment think about that her children are suffering in the back seat and she is just basically driving slow waiting for her children to die oh my gosh the second witness is the key witness to all of this and it's nine-year-old christy downs The whole case relied on this little girl, the bravest little girl I can think of, honestly. Christy tells the court that her mom was the one who shot her and her brother and her sister. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank God. Her mother stopped the car, went into the trunk to get something, came back, and shot the children in the backseat of the car. If your stomach isn't nauseous right now, June of 1984, Diane Downs is found guilty and is sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years. That's not enough, if you ask me. (laughs) It should have been life plus a million years. I know that doesn't make sense, but (laughs) she's diagnosed with penalty. She's diagnosed with three personality disorders. She's obviously a sociopath, which is a person that does not feel empathy and cannot identify with others' feelings. The court rules her a danger to her unborn baby. So between the verdict and the sentencing, the court took a recess for her to give birth to the baby. They actually uh, induced her. She gave birth to a baby girl. She's shackled to the bed and gives birth to this baby girl. The baby was adopted to a beautiful family. A little bit about her real fast because her story is interesting. She was interviewed on Oprah and gave an interview in 2020. And I watched both interviews. Growing up, she wasn't told anything of who her mom was she was just told your mom's in jail and it really wasn't until she was 11 I think that she tricked her babysitter into telling her exactly who her mother was years later I think she was 16 her boyfriend invited her over to watch the movie Small Sacrifices with oh, Farrah Fawcett no. which is it is the story of Diane Downs so she watches this movie now she knows everything about who her mother is so her name is Rebecca, and she had a bit of a hard time after that. I can imagine. She went through a rough patch. She had a teen pregnancy. She had a little baby boy. She went through drugs and everything. Then she got pregnant again with a second baby, and she ended up putting that second baby up for adoption. She felt empty, and this is when she decided to write to Diane Downs. 
Oh, wow. And she wanted to see if there was any connection, if her, if Diane felt a loss from putting her up for adoption or anything. Six letters later, she saw the monster that her true biological mother was. She starts claiming her innocence, rambling on and on and on about her innocence and how she was the victim. She even, at the end, when Rebecca's basically telling her, like, my letters are done, she starts threatening Rebecca, telling her, telling her things like, I have someone very powerful watching over you for me. And if you love your little boy, you'll take him far away from there. So oh. she stops writing. She's really turned her life around. She's studying to be a doctor. She wants to deliver babies. And she helps other children that come from crime families and kind of creates a safety zone for them to talk and really get their feelings out in a positive way. Uh, she's a great mom to her son. And I believe that her nurturing childhood really made her who she is today. She has empathy. She is not anything like her biological mother. Anyway, so let's get back to the trial. Christy and Danny were actually adopted by the prosecuting attorney and his wife. No. Uh Uh-huh. Wait. Okay. So um, the father, Steve, where is he through all this? I cannot tell you. I wondered the same thing. I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. Really? Like... Mm -mm crickets there is nothing there he's given interviews since but i don't know why he didn't step in and take the kids or wow okay so she's sentenced to prison goes off to jail 1987 three years after her sentencing diane downs escapes prison no (laughs) told you the story keeps going she scaled a 16 foot barbed wire fence and escaped I guess she piled on like a ton of clothes and just... This chick is just something else. So there's this huge 10-day manhunt for her. This is when Rebecca's adoptive family had to tell her teachers or daycare and her babysitters like who oh, her God, mom is yes. and, you know, be a lookout for things. Yes. And as well as Danny and Christie's adopted parents, they're freaking out. They don't know where Diane's going to go. And she's actually found only a few blocks from the prison shacking up. With another inmate's husband. (laughs) Getting pregnant. Christy, no, she didn't get pregnant. Thank (laughs) God. Christy and Danny's adoptive parents were just terrified of the whole situation. So they really, really, really fought very hard for her to be transferred out of state, just far away. And and they were the prosecuting or one of them. Yes, he was the prosecuting attorney. Okay. So she obviously knows who he is. Yeah. So they want her as far away from them as possible. Mm -hmm. So 2008 was the first parole hearing. Denied. But there is an interview of this on YouTube. And it's very interesting to watch. Because even though I know in my heart of hearts that this woman did this. Watching this parole hearing. I mean, she, she basically told them that, you know, I'm not sitting in here learning how to cut hair, fix AC units. I've just been studying my case from the beginning to the end because I am innocent. And so it's really interesting to watch her because at the end of it, you're kind of like, well, wait, that kind of made sense. So she's saying like, no, I never came in and said that two men in ski masks did this. I was told by police that I probably knew these this man that attacked me. Then they took that and made that my statement. Oh, it's yeah. a lot of he said, she said, turn around, flip flop things that you walk away from it going, huh, it's sick. You know what this reminds me of? What? Not the the baby killer, but the uh, Ted Bundy. Oh, uh, it's 
totally reminds me it's of revolting. a female it's version of Ten Bunny, uh, even the escape from the prison. So I mean, and the narcissistic personality that, you It know, was not her. It was somebody else. It was a bushy-haired man. She will tell you the exact story with all the itty-bitty details from beginning to end. It's incredible. It's incredible. So she is going to be up again for parole in 2021. That's next year. Uh. Yes. Yes. So be interesting to see. All right. Well, Manson keeps coming up for rolling. Oh, <laughs> it keeps being turned God. down. So it's. Uh, so that is uh, my true crime story of Diane Downs. Wow. I mean, just wow. I know. It's sad. You know, doing this, some things are really interesting. And other stories just turn your stomach. I know. And, and fill you with so much, like. I'm not a hateful person. I'm no. a very loving person, but oh man, I know. Like I could, ugh. but you know what? Look at the positive. The children. It sounds like the those that the survived. Rebecca her. was adopted by Rebecca a was adopted. very loving family, and then the prosecuting attorney adopted the two little ones, and they probably got a very loving home. Now they've never that. ever done interviews. They've really stayed and out of every. And that's good. That's, that's good. Yeah. I don't blame them for that. I mean, they, they lived through a hell that that we cannot even imagine. Exactly. So, all right. Hey. <sighs> so I'm going to take a drink. Drink some wine. <laughs> yes, and let's lighten up the mood with some ghosts, please. Well, I'm I'm going to do something fun. I'm going to tell two different stories, uh, but neither one of them are very long. So the first one is around Lafayette Pioneer Cemetery okay. in Dayton, Oregon. At 10 minutes to 1 on November 11th, 1886, Richard E. Marple is hung for the murder of business owner David Croker, who is found brutally, brutally, brutally <laughs> murdered in his bed. I mean, he was, like, cut up with a knife. Horrible. Thanks for the details. You could have left it at the original. No, I really want you to know. <laughs> We've had enough killings. <laughs> Even up on the scaffold, Marple proclaims his innocence and insists that hanging him would be murder. Okay, I have to go back a little bit. So this um, Richard is kind of well-known. He's a troublemaker. Okay. He's done a lot of nasty things. And so the sheriff, <clears throat> for some reason, didn't get the noose correctly positioned on Marple. Oh, no. And it caused a long, lingering death. Oh. Ugh. In fact, it was 18 minutes before he was declared and dead. this is what year? I'm so sorry. And this is 1886. So there's, you know, hey, honey, let's go pack a picnic and yeah, go there's watch people. a hanging. <laughs> People, that, I'm, I'm sure there's period. people watching. Right, right. Yeah, that would be a horrible, Ugh. horrible 20 minutes. Okay, right. so he, uh, this is a little side note here. He did tell his cellmate that this information that I'm going to tell you should only be released if he did get hung. And that Ooh. was that he not Intriguing. only did he kill, he not only did he kill, that didn't make <laughs> sense, but Probably. not only did he kill David Croker, but he also killed four other people. Oh, intrigue. And when he admitted that he did kill this David, this business owner, he gave horrible, horrible details about 
what had happened that nobody else knew. So he did, in fact, kill this man. His mother, Anna Marple, witnessed this whole, the hanging. She, why would, oh. And as her son died, she still proclaimed his innocence and then cursed the town for his death. (laughs) The curse, you ask? (laughs) Oh, what's the curse, Mom? I knew you'd ask it. There would be three fires. The Random last curse. Not four, not two, but three. Listen, child. Oh, sorry. Don't curse me, Mom. <laughs> the last one would totally wipe out the town of Lafayette. Several townspeople believed Anna to be a witch. Mm. And so the curse may be true. I don't know if you believe in curses or not, but let me give you a little information. Since the curse, there have been two great fires. <gasps> In 1904, the fire wiped out the whole business district of Lafayette. No way. And then there was another very destructive fire in 1928. Spooky. Of course, there's been several smaller fires that have happened since then. Sure, it's not like the town only had two fires this whole time. will there be a third devastating fire that will take out the city? Oh, no. No, 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 no. We don't I like all of our musical <laughs> We have no instruments, so we must add. Okay, so I've read conflicting stories as to what happened to the mother, Anna Marple. One story just leaves her at the death of her son and the subsequent cursing of the town. Dun dun dun. The other sorry. Probably fictitious, but much more interesting, has it as her being a condemned witch. And eventually being hung uh, for practicing witchcraft. Yet another story has it that it wasn't Anna at all, but another witch who was hung for the witchcraft. Wow. What is the answer here? Is it Anna? Or is it this other woman that haunts the Lafayette Pioneer Cemetery, which was established in 1850? It's said that this woman appears in the graveyard at all times of the day or night. In the day? She's been seen walking among the tombstones. 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 <laughs> I had a drink while you were telling that horrible story. Uh, tombstones. Stand the tombstones. Or just standing <laughs> silently. That is terrifying, though. Others have said that they've heard her laughing at them. Oh! <gasps> One woman caught a woman's voice on an EVP saying, run home. Still others say that they've been chased out of the cemetery by the woman. (laughs) Oh, scary, scary, scary. Of these people, a few even bear scars. Are you serious? After they leave the cemetery, they feel burns on their back. And when looking at them, they find deep cuts running up and down their back. And it's not from them like falling after they're running out of the cemetery? I don't think so. <laughs> it's on their backs. They didn't jump some 16-foot <laughs> fence, barbed wire fence to get into the prison. You just hand me the No, line. that's... You want me to drink more here? That's that woman you talked about. Um, that okay, woman. so while I was looking at this, it came on a site. It's called Sinister Coffee and Creamery. They're paranormal investigators. I just finished the wine. And they recounted their story of the night of September 13th, 2019, so last year. Last year. When three paranormal investigative teams explored Lafayette Cemetery. So this is their story of that night. So wait, hold on. They're paranormal investigators and they own a coffee shop? 
Sinister Coffee and Creamery is what they call themselves. So is it a coffee shop or is that just what no, they call their paranormal group? No, that's what they group? call their paranormal group. That's awesome. I know. I love the name. So they're joining with these other... Got it. I'm following. Um, I'm tipsy, but I'm following. Okay. Their investigative equipment was active throughout the whole night. Answers to their questions answered and captured during the REM pod sessions. Later in the evening, they were joined uninvited in the cemetery by a group of town drunks. <laughs> There's you and me. <laughs> what and are we doing here, guys? You got coffee. <laughs> you guys own a coffee shop, right? I got beer. <laughs> and I then got an empty bottle of wine. Then by a group of three girls that were using a Ouija board. This place is active at night, <laughs> let me tell you. Are we sure it's ghosts? Or is he, <laughs> it's just constant. This is like a party. So we're saying cemetery. there's a lot of people here there's at this time. a lot of people here. One eerie event in the article that one of the investigators walked away from the group unnoticed. And he walked to a secluded and overgrown grown section of the cemetery. Back at the main group, an obulus read the word alone. When the man returned, he stated that he didn't even know why he had left, but he had been drawn to the secluded area. Some of the investigators went to the spot, and the ovulus with them read the word enemy. The temperature dropped, and there was a feeling of a presence. I mean, they're outside, and there's several people there, but okay. (laughs) So much so that the group left the spot. Oh. Because it was just too, yeah. Too many, too crowded. (laughs) It was too crowded with the presence there. outside all right during the spirit box session there were some things that were picked up most distinctly the name adam which just so happened to be the guy holding the spirit box oh i love it that's awesome when at the same time that the spirit box said adam the ovulus read don't 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 and then scared and then this is funny. <laughs> One other word appeared on the ovulus a little later, and the word was drunk, which yep. happened right after one of the uninvited partiers that had joined the group slammed a beer. <laughs> I just don't understand why they'd even continue their... In- con- I don't understand why people continue their podcast and they're hammered. I don't understand why they'd... Continue their investigation with when they the have all people these people there. around the being like people. drunk. When they tried to get rid of the partiers, but it was like, hey, this is cool. <laughs> so, but that's so funny. Drunk. Right drunk. after he slammed the beer. I want an ovulus detector so badly. Yeah, well, I don't so want any badly. readings down here where I'm sleeping. I wouldn't so. do it. I would never do it in the house. I would never do a Ouija board in the house. I'd never do any of that stuff in the house, but... When I do the paranormal investigations, I want my own equipment so, and that is one thing that I want so badly. Okay, sorry, enough about me. Go on. <laughs> really? Is it though? <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> You're just jealous that I'm drinking the last of the wine. Oh, I had plenty while you were telling <laughs> that horrible story. All right, so now we're going to move up to about six miles northeast from the uh, cemetery. Oh, new story. Moving on. To Dundee, the city of Dundee, to the Argyle Winery. Oh, a winery? Yep. This is more our taste. And I did try. a theme going on here. Drunks, winery. (laughs) I didn't. They were drinking beer. (laughs) 
um i did it still drunk i tried to get wine from the argyle winery mm-hmm. but the store i went to which is class named with classic and i want to give them a shout out because they really spent some time with me looking up wines <laughs> and then helping me find the wine that we did have tonight so i appreciate their help there i love when we go into liquor stores and we're like i need something from new orleans and they look at me and they're like uh <laughs> but i explained to him it was for a podcast they yeah he kind of looked at me like uh. <laughs> what are you doing wine tasting no i'm talking about true crime and paranormal <laughs> duh then i really got the uh <laughs> he said that sounds cool and scary <laughs> Anyway, back to the story. So we didn't get a subscriber with him like we did with Brindle? I don't know. He thought the name was really cool, so who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Just curiosity. Who knows? All right. Anyway, go to the haunted winery. So the winery is located in what was Dundee's City Hall building. Okay. From the late 70s to 1989. That's really cool. I bet it's a really cool And before winery. that, it was the home of Lena Elsie. Imus, who at age 25 killed herself by drinking carbolic acid. Not wine. Now, do you remember the story I told about the Queen Mary? Yes. And the one... The captain had... Had carbolic acid in and his... And the, and the one let's guy not drank drink it. drink that during the podcast. Yeah. Because we just carry that around. I guess, us, well, carbolic acid was used for cleaning. I didn't know that. At that time. So, okay. um... I don't know why the captain had it in a gin jar. Wasn't it a gin bottle? My. At the, that story. This one, she knew what she was doing. Uh, she was depressed and lethargic, oh saying geez. that she had nothing to live for. Now, if this was due to finding herself pregnant and then oh. deserted by the father, or if she was suffering from depression, there were different stories about that. Either way, she ends up in the hospital after ingesting the acid, and she lives for three days, and then died <coughs> on December 18th. She died. 1908. Crying over there. Croaking. <coughs> That's what happens when it's when 1230 at night. Oh, please <laughs> stop telling me the time. The stories of Lena's ghost wandering in her former home started when the building housed the city hall. Okay. This winery has got to be so cool if it was a city hall. If you live in this and, area and, well, and you look go to how this winery, take a picture and send it to us. I would love to see what this place looks I like. I mean, look how old this this has got to be. Um, I mean, she died in 1908, and she was 25, and this was her house. That's incredible. I know. bet this place is awesome. So the accounts of some of the employees, there would be flickering lights, sound of footsteps, and a mysterious flowery smell resembling woman's perfume i love when that happens i think that's so cool mom's mom used to do that to me all the time show up you just walk into a room it's just like a burst of perfume true story i smelt it too true story and it was her Uh, perfume she had a very specific perfume mm -hmm. and you'd walk into our second bedroom in our old apartment this was years ago yep and it would just reek of and that's where her bookshelves were yep I owned her bookshelf. But you walked right by the threshold, and this smell wasn't there. Just. I, it hap- I mean, it did happen. I smelt just, it, yep. too. Anyway, going on. Sorry. So, okay. stories <laughs> continue. My podcast. I just had to share my story. <laughs> stories continue now that the building is a winery. Clearly. Some, <laughs> some of which occur in the tasting room. 
footsteps, but no one's there. Okay, Lights. hold on. This is the tasting room. Are these people sober or drunk? You know, and there you footsteps. have that question, too. I don't know. We should go and find out. <laughs> I don't know if we'd be sober, but okay. Lights flickering on and off, and a new one. The sound of wine glasses shattering. Oh, no. But when searching for glass, there's no broken glass. Okay, that's pretty cool, though. What continues to be reported is the flowery smell of perfume. Oh, there it is. Oh, I've never seen the ghost. But at times, I've smelled her perfume and felt a chill in the air. At Says, least it's perfume and not a smell of fish like they had in Alaska. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Said winemaker Roland Souls. It seems that Lena's ghost was seen by at least one person. Oh, here's the story on that. There was okay. a visiting psychic oh. who was just there for the wine tasting. She knew nothing about the haunting. She knew nothing about any of this. Okay. But in the middle of the wine tasting, the psychic spoke up and said that she saw the ghost of a woman standing behind another taster. Oh, my gosh. That would have been so crazy. Can in you a past imagine life, you like being that taster? Uh, say what? <laughs> that's me as a ghost, stand. though. I'm just going to stand behind people drinking wine. <laughs> Ghosts drink wine. I'd like to think we will be able to. <laughs> Forever and ever. Forever and ever and ever. The employees at the winery do not feel fear of Lena and think she actually adds some extra fun and interest to the winery. Yeah, and fun stories. And the winemakers even went so far as to name some wines in honor of Lena. Awesome. They're called the Spirit House Pinot Noir and the Spirit House Chardonnay. Awesome. Which were reserves series made for several years that you couldn't get your hands in on honor of her podcast no, no they right. didn't have anything from there there is however one story of lena's power to scare there was a copy machine repairman working on the winery's copier okay when all of a sudden his tools were dumped out oh no the man refuses to return oh my god they have to get a different wine or a different wine yeah they have to get a different copier wine on the repairman mom i know uh lena is buried in dundee's pioneer cemetery near her parents and two brothers her tombstone reads not dead but gone before wait what i'm gonna repeat this and i did see the tombstone this is really what it says like physically you saw it or a picture of it a picture of it. And I was like, you went to Oregon for this? <laughs> yeah, and I had the wine. And you and couldn't grab the, the wine? <laughs> <laughs> Not dead, but gone before. Doesn't even make sense. What does that mean? I don't know. I'll leave you Have and I our listeners. I'll leave you and our listeners thinking about that. Not dead, but gone before. If anybody has an idea, you know where to get a hold of us. <laughs> yes. That was spooky. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, it was fun looking up, too. Yes. What a what a much better ending than my story, though. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, so. where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Killer Hangover Podcast. Email us, killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear your true crime stories. If you've been or are near or are traveling to any of the places that we've talked about any of the podcasts take pictures send us we'd love to see oh them. that would be awesome yes. i'd love to see some of these places we've totally. never been or next monday we'll share wisconsin all right join us next monday for wisconsin
And tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day. I will be waking up early, but I will start my day with a Guinness, being of Irish blood myself. Hey, and I will be wearing nothing green. You'll be bearing nothing green? No. Oh, bearing okay. or wearing anything green <laughs> since I am not of Irish descent. No, I have I have a lot of cooking I'm doing tomorrow. I have corned beef and cabbage. Listen prepared. to you. There's my girl. Guinness in the morning. I am pumped. I'm All pumped. Right. So happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Cheers, <laughs> Mama. Love you, kid. <laughs>